0: Hello, I'm Stephen McInerney, Academic Director and Deputy CEO at the Ramsey Centre for Western Civilisation. We continue today our discussion of Aeschylus's trilogy, The Oresteia, and we're looking at the second part, The Libation Bearers. To discuss The Libation Bearers, I'm joined again by Dr. Laurel Moffat and Dr. Kishore Saval. Dr. Laurel Moffat is an independent scholar and researcher who lives and works in Sydney, and Dr. Kishore Saval is Senior Lecturer at Australian Catholic University. Welcome to you both. I want to begin by looking at um, a section of the play where Orestes confronts his mother, Clytemnestra, and we see how torn he is about the task that has been set before him. Uh, He says um, that I dread, to kill my mother. And his mother uh, begs of him, let me grow old with you. But Orestes can't do this. She says, if you don't, the hounds of a mother's curse will hunt you down. And he says, but if I don't, how to escape a father's curse if I fail? So, Laurel, the the terrible predicament for Orestes is that whatever he does, he feels that he's doing the wrong thing. How how can he get out of this? How can he solve this problem?
1: Um, That's a great question because in that section they do seem equated, like damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Either way, like which one has more weight? They seem to be equal in um, danger and dread. But just before that, um, his companion, um, when he's deliberating, reminds him, like, what of the future? What of the prophet god Apollo, the Delphic voice, the faith in oaths we swear, make all mankind your enemy, not the gods. So it seems like in some way the, not only it's not just his father that kind of swings the balance, but it's Apollo and the gods and that he had some kind of arrangement um, with Apollo or uh, direction from him to avenge the father's murder, which it seems like that's what swings it in my opinion, in my reading, but both are horrible. Like He dreads to do the thing that he feels he must do. It's a terrible thing to do. Um,
0: And perhaps not only that this is a task given to him by Apollo, but that this is simply required by Apollo of all men whose fathers are murdered, that there's an obligation to avenge your father's death. And it only becomes a unique problem in Oreste's case because the person he has to kill is his mother so that in in obeying Apollo, in obeying that god and the gods generally, he's also then going to violate another uh, divine or quasi divine sanction which is that a son shouldn't kill his parent shouldn't kill his mother, the source of his own life mm-hmm. um, Kishore, what do you make of that conundrum? I think there are Two things. I mean,
2: first, we come, we come back to this problem of human freedom. So, putting on the yoke of necessity. Is it the yoke of necessity, or did you put it on? And uh, these characters, on the one hand, there's something very symmetrical in uh, um, Agamemnon's dilemma, Orestes' dilemma. Um, and the sense that you are torn between two impossible choices uh, uh, can lead you to the conclusion that, in fact, you have no freedom. But you are always free to choose. Uh, Agamemnon, uh, Artemis demands that Agamemnon make this terrible sacrifice if he wishes the ships to sail from Aulis to Troy. Um, But he has to make that choice, and similarly so does uh, Orestes. So they are free even in the midst of, even if they are free to uh, apparently to make choices that um, no one should have to make. But at the same time, I think that it's, it's also a moment to think about how this may fit into the larger arc that, w- that w- as we move from Agamemnon to the end of the Oresteia. Uh, I, we, we, are, we, ha- we are moving in this tragedy to a world in which uh, the, the, the divine order must also be a moral order. And therefore, when the gods... Stoop to such an abyss of moral criminality when they ask you to do something that violates your sense of, of, of what is morally right. Uh, this, this cannot therefore be the moral order that governs the cosmos and the polis and so so you know all of these moments, you know, similarly last time we were talking about um, agamemnon f- f- uh, 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 fearing to tread upon the ta- tapestries because he will provoke the envy of the gods, but the idea that the, that the order that governs the cosmos is an order based upon divine envy cannot be the highest order. So we, we,
0: we So we, this is Plato's view, right?
2: But I, I believe that this is what, what what the direction in which the tragedy itself is moving. Okay.
0: So that as we we move from a world
2: in which uh the, the in which uh, vi- they think violence can be purified simply by uh, sacrifices or obeying the commandments of the gods, and they come to realize that violence must be purified through a new kind of divine order—a participation in pathos, in persuasion, but rather also, than in violence.
1: I think. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. <laughs> also, though, um, the idea that the wrongs keep being done against their own house which yes. is not sustainable, as in you will not have a house. A house divided against itself cannot stand. As in if they keep killing each other, there will be no house of Atreus. Atreus? How do you say it? Atreus?
0: Uh, it rhymes with Zeus, according to Atreus. Kishore. Right. I always say Atreus, but Atreus, Atreus works for me.
1: Yeah. But, um, but then there's the line that the solution has to come... From within the house, not outside of it. So I'm thinking too, like when you were speaking about how there's this divine code that they're they're following, and when it's actually moral outrage, there has to be something that is found within this house that they can, that they can somehow satisfy justice, but is still life giving, not life taking, in order for mm. the house to live on. Um, so I well, think
0: the, the chorus says, "Wipe out death with death." But I think what you're saying is that can't be the solution.
1: Not as it's currently going. Yeah. You know, as in... <laughs> yeah. Well, there's always <laughs> I remainder, don't see a not I don't see a bright future for them. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> I mean, That's when it. you get to do... When you have Agamemnon's uh, reasons for going to Troy, right, you can take the gripe outside of your home yep. and you can take it outside of your country and you can fight on a battlefield. But even then in Agamemnon, you know, you first get the story that comes back, it's like, oh, you know, our, our valorous king has returned, or whatever the lines are. That's described in kind of like um, words of high valor. But then the next description is of really the brutality of war and how horrible it, it is in this very simple spare language and how it's affected all the homes um, in the land. You know, everyone's lost a son. So it's, like, infected everyone. Yeah. And again, so it's like, oh, no, we tried to make it out on the battlefield, but yet it does affect the private life. Mm-hmm. And then here again, it's, like, this justice that cannot be satisfied by death after death yeah. after death.
0: The chorus seems private. stuck, right? Wipe out death with death. And also the chorus tells us there is a cure. So the, the cure for this problem is in the house. There is a cure in the house and not outside it. Um, so that that's around line or 58 in the Fagel's translation.
1: And do you um, take that to be house, the house as in the family, as in the they, line? They at
0: this point see arrest days as the, the cure to right. the
1: problem. Um, or, but I was wondering too yeah. when I was reading it, is is this also within the kind of house of humanity?
0: Right, okay. And I just
1: didn't know. if Could you read it both ways yeah. or is it definitely... I mean, you definitely read it as in, here is Orestes yeah. and he has a job to do. And,
0: yeah, but, yeah. It, but it's only ever a temporary solution, which right. then creates another problem. And so, you know, we, we, we'll get to it in the, in the next instalment, but we, we see that the, the solution is an external one, almost imposed upon um, the family, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the cure isn't within the house. They can't, as it were, save themselves.
1: Yes. No, and the chorus says, you know, it is the law. When the blood of slaughter wets the ground, it wants more blood. Mm. Slaughter cries for the fury of those long dead to bring destruction on destruction, churning mm. in its wake. It's just endless, isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
0: But Orestes. I mean, the, the play opens, the, the second part, the Libation Bearers opens with this sort of sense of expectation. Uh, you know, Electra um, is there, you know, looking for signs, um, the, the lock of hair from Orestes, and... There's this great sense of hope, I and feel. I
1: love how she finds him. Yes. You know, the <laughs> walking in his footsteps until they lead to him. Yeah. That's pretty adorable. <laughs> it is adorable, <laughs> yeah. I and mean, it's playful. Yeah. And I was like, even in the midst of all this tragedy, it's something that brothers and sisters would do as children. Yeah. You know, uh, I just found that so human. Yeah,
2: it is. There is a playfulness, you know, whether it be the Watchman, th- th- there's a yeah. nurse in here that yes. sort of reminds yeah. us of Juliet's nurse. That possibly, there is that side, th- th- the, uh, a, a playfulness in in, in, uh, in many of his side characters as well. That
0: I think, yeah, yeah and reminds us too of the, the nurse in the Odyssey, uh, Odysseus's nurse, yes, um, yeah. who and you know it's a moment. that, Anyway, we'll get off track with that. But that <laughs> moment of revelation with. When she's the one who discovers that Odysseus is home, so often these—I mi- mean—that's an epic, of course—but often these sort of minor characters play a significant, though small role at the time, and it's a moment often of recognition. Aristotle talks about those moments of recognition, um, and and in that sense, the
2: the, the opening of this, the, the looking for signs, the, mm. the you know waiting for recognition. The, the, there's another parallel with yes. the, with the watchman yeah. uh, at um, at the beginning of the Agamemnon, so. Yeah this yeah. th- this deliberate symmetry. Yeah. yeah.
1: But also, um, even from the, the beginning of the trilogy, the um, mention of evidence, you know, the signs. Yes. So, like, the, the evidence of the torches from Troy announcing um, victory. Yes. But then here, you know, the evidence of Orestes, his lock of hair, his mm. footprints. I find it's almost forensic.
0: It is forensic, isn't it? And and. The role of science, uh, you know, leads to, I think, this, this um, omen, uh, the, um, the terrible vision that Clytemnestra has of the snake feeding at her breast, um, you know, and then she's trying to interpret that and finally it all fits into place that she's, the vision of, she's having is of her son. Uh, and, you know, it reminds me of the, the sign in the first part of the trilogy. Um, so there there is this sort of role that we have in the audience and the characters in the play are trying to interpret what these things mean. What does the lock of hair mean? What does the serpent at the breast mean? Um, and, you know, in the end, uh, Arrestes, in that case, <laughs> fits the role. But we initially don't see him as a serpent, we we see him, as we see Electra, as almost restoring innocence. The focus is on youth in this play, and that's there's something hopeful, in the middle part of the trilogy. But of course, it all it all goes awry once Orestes has to become a man, if you put it that way. By if I could put it that way, by by killing, by killing his own his own mother.
2: Yeah, and, and those signs like the serpent again. There's a, there seems to be a confusion of images yeah. because on the one hand, uh, Orestes is doing the work of Apollo. Yes, uh, but uh, Apollo is the slayer of the Python, and then the the serpent is meant to be Orestes. So mm. Orestes is, as, is at once th- there's the Apollinean side, but then this Chthonian image of the yes. of the serpent. And so why are these two things being brought together? Yeah, uh, and so. It sort of reminds us of the confusion uh, of, the, of the hunt and the sacrifice and the reading of the signs in Agamemnon. Uh, and so, yes, again, it's, it's, it's reading the signs and, and reading in a, them in a way that is uh, ambiguous about what it portends but what it also reveals about mm. Orestes. Yes.
1: And he does this often with the contrasts, isn't there? There's light, there's dark, um, there's reason, there's rumor. Um, there's man versus woman, wife versus husband, child versus parent, you know, that oppositions are constant in these plays, aren't they?
2: Yes, I mean, it's a play that, uh, you know, uh, f- from this, it sort of moves from, you know, the Furies, the Daughters of Night, um, the Forces of the Earth, to it, it appears to move to the world of Apollinian clarity and... Uh, eloquence and persuasion in a sense it's the reverse of king lear which starts with apollinian clarity and persuasion and moves to the world of mothers and daughters and all the things that can't be expressed at night um, but the, yes but there there really is that 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 that, 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 that those symmetries of of the, of night and light and i think are deliberate yeah yes,
0: and their confusion as with the signs that there's yeah. sense that they're They they seem to tell us one thing, but then we're not sure. And I'm thinking about this also in relation to, uh, you know, who is an agent of justice? Orestes is an agent of justice. Um, But, you know, so we're told that he is brought home. He's brought back to Argos by the Furies. Fury brings him home at last, the brooding mother, Fury. The anvil of justice stands fast and fate beats out her sword. Um, At line 628, that that begins, a child will wipe clean the inveterate stain of blood shed long ago. Fury brings him home at last. And yet, if that's true, then it's completely paradoxical that Fury is bringing him home to do something which Fury doesn't want him to do. So in the middle of this um, trilogy, we see the conflict is not only an internal conflict in the character. It's its a cosmic conflict, a conflict in the divine ordering of things. You know, things just simply do not make sense. Even when we defer to some higher power or powers, that doesn't make sense of it in this world. Uh, so it's a, it's a drama which, you know, doesn't just talk about a conflict in the family, a conflict in the character, but points to something very um, revolutionary at the time, I think, um, for the Greeks, which is how do we reconcile all of these competing deities and beings? Uh, you know, who is actually in charge? Who is actually ordering the the universe?
2: Yeah, I think that this decay, this justice, can no longer be identified with uh, with a, a, a vision of. The sacred oriented towards these old gods, whether it be the Olympian gods or the Furies. Yeah,
1: because it seems like they've gotten themselves tangled up in a knot. Yeah, that they can't undo um, at the moment.
0: Yeah. So Clytemnestra, um, you know, the very moving moment where she she bears her breast to. And, and pleads with him uh, not, to, not to take her life. Um, I must be spilling live tears on a tomb of stone, she says. Um, does she evoke compassion in the audience? Does she evoke compassion in the reader? I'm interested in this because we do seem I think to be asked to side with Orestes in this in this section of the of the drama and we do seem to at least I do side with not that you want him to do this but we're more on his side than we are on Clytemnestra's and I'm interested in why that is the case or if it ought to be the case.
1: Um, I think that's fascinating because. One of the reasons I've been thinking, I have been wondering this: like, why, why do we side with him and not with her? As in, there's been wrong done to yeah. both.
0: Um, She's just avenging her daughter. Yeah. The way he's trying to avenge, but his father.
1: One issue is, although the murder of Agamemnon didn't take place on stage, it was just off stage, and we heard like the almost the simultaneous translation of it and the description, which is chilling and horrifying. And we realized from the first play that this was totally premeditated. Um, and she's been brooding on this for 10 years and then murders him in a very violent way when he's at his weakest. Um, so we know this as an audience. Um, and we haven't seen Orestes do Anything yet, but also we are given just before she says that, you know, what are you made of stone? Like, are my tears just falling on rock? Um, he Orestes keeps saying, like, when when his when the mother's curse is brought up, that's nothing to him in a way because mother, you flung me to a life of pain. Yeah. Um, that his birth by her is caused suffering in his life, and then he sees his father as someone who has just suffered even though we know that Agamemnon did horrible things as well. But somehow, we keep like, like going back to why is Aeschylus only showing us kind of half the story or part of the story. The part that he's shown us as an audience or as a reader, it seems to me, to compel um, mercy, mercy for Orestes, but judgment for Clytemnestra. At least as a reader, that's what I feel. I don't yeah. know. What do, you, do you have a similar feeling or a different one?
2: Uh, m- m- mercy for Orestes, but ju- I, 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 think that. Uh, uh, well, this this is, this is what's going to bring us to uh, you know the biggest dilemma at the at the end of the, at the end of the tragedy, which is that we see Clytemnestra's and Orestes's di- dilemmas as symmetrical, almost identical in this way, and yet uh, and yet the jury sides with. Orestes rather than with Clytemnestra. Because of the casting vote, right? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and, you know, if, if ever there were, uh, there were a work that is patriarchal in the literal sense, mm. I mean, of, of siding with a father over a mother, um, for no reason that we, can, uh, that, that we can figure out, except that since they're identical in, in every way, uh, almost identical in every way, except that, you know, as we will soon see, you know, one is a father and one is a mother... It, it makes me wonder, I mean, there is there, it, there, there's a, we, there is tremendous sympathy on the side of Clytemnestra um, in Agamemnon, and sympathy for Orestes. Mm. And I think there is less sympathy for Agamemnon. So All I right. feel that there really is a sense in which we are perhaps are, are meant to feel this divided, you know, yeah. pity for Clytemnestra and Orestes. Yeah. And Orestes. yeah. Um, so that the the final judgment does strike us as unsettling.
0: Clytemnestra it seems to rage against the... I mean, you mentioned the, the symmetry. Uh, she seems to be raging against the idea that her claim is not equal, you know, that, that somehow for her it's worse to do this crime than it would be for... Orestes to commit the crime, but also she appeals to the idea that she, this goes back to this question about necessity. That you know, when Orestes is lamenting what his mother has done to him, she says destiny had a hand in that, my child. You know, and it's the same thing that Orestes um, then says to her: "Destiny decrees your death." So both of them feel bound by. Necessity. Both of them don't, in a sense, don't feel free. Uh, they, they don't. They're not free in the sense of having a range of options which they can choose from um, objectively and in the abstract. That they somehow, the their choice is narrowed down to the point where it's no longer a choice. They're just forced into some course of action. And in a sense, it seems to me that all of them, these tragic figures are crying out against that. Situation against their boundedness, the fact that these limits are imposed upon their freedom um, by a force beyond their control, Uh, and and so we—it's sort of claustrophobic. We feel it too in reading the play that um, they're trapped. They're all trapped, and in that sense, they're all victims.
2: But there's also a sense in which, yet they always had a choice. They were always free, and they make an alibi of necessity, Mm. so that, that you know you you, yeah. you, you, you uh, uh, if, if a, a god gives you an immoral commandment y- you you choose to obey that commandment and then you 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 give nece- you you you, uh, you give necessity as your reason mm. whether it be the curse upon the house of atrus or uh, some other yoke of necessity yeah and so um, they they don't have a range of options mm. they, they have impossible options uh, uh, options but they, nevertheless, in choosing one of them,
0: they choose freely. Yeah, and I mean, maybe it is significant then that, that Clytemnestra does propose an alternative to Orestes. You can, we can get on with it. We can live. We, you, I can grow old with you. Um, that this, you know, she's she's holding out for some sort of domestic arrangement, which seems completely <laughs> at odds. Um, and, and placid compared to, obviously, the, the alternative. Um, but it does, it just strikes us as impossible. What would that look like? What would that feel like? Uh, that, that, that's what I'm getting at, that it doesn't feel like a real alternative. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean... Because to
1: not do something, to, to not avenge the Father's death, I guess he would then be tormented. Yeah. By Furies, I suppose not that he hasn't avenged that death, whereas later he's a, he's tormented by them for murdering his mother. So, it is it's a tricky little place to be. Yes, mm-hmm. I mean
2: it feels impossible. It feels claustrophobic. It yeah. feels as though the necessity is closing us in at every yeah. moment. And when they when they speak, and, and and therefore we just we when they. Speak of necessity when they u- or they speak of a curse and they say that that's the reason. I mean, it, you, the, everything about the way we can trace uh, the, the the course of events from the beginning um, to the end it, it completely can support this idea. I yeah. mean, it's it is that sort of problem of human freedom, the antinomy that that, that you know a later Enlightenment thinker like Kant talks about that. You you can't see in the endless series of causes that leads from one thing to another where the point is where you were free to make a decision, mm. um, and and you yet you were and yet and and yet when you look back you if you, you were only free to choose between two impossible things how is that a choice how are you free
0: yeah
1: and I think at the end of this play I don't know as a reader I felt like I was left um, it could go in either direction, it could go toward, you know, as he's heading to the temple, and you don't know what kind of resolution going to happen there. But also there's unfinished business, I think, with Electra, who kind of just vanishes. Yeah. Um, and so then I think it raises in the mind the possibility that vengeance will just keep going in the family. You know, she could have a cause that she would need to avenge. Um, so things are really left... Precariously, they are. I think.
0: Let's um, let's finish there, and we'll, we'll see next time uh, when we explore the humanities uh, how the uh, how the drama is resolved. Thanks to you both.